0: you ask me what point would the S&P 500 make sense, historically speaking, if market forces were allowed to take it there? You're talking about around 3,000. So you're talking about a 33% or more, 30 to 40% drop in the averages.
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with macro expert and money manager Michael Pinto. If you haven't yet watched part one of this discussion with Michael, in which he walks through an avalanche of data supporting his prediction of a painful recession and a sizable market downturn ahead, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Michael also kindly shares how he's allocating his portfolio for the rocky road he sees ahead in the markets, so get ready to take good notes. All right, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Michael Pento. This has been a great discussion so far, and now we are getting to the main event where um, we wanna talk about where you see things headed market-wise and how your model is encouraging you to position given all the indicators that, that you know, what they're telling you right now in real time. Um, you said that you expect to see a recession uh, either in the second half of this year or beginning of next year. I presume that means uh, along with that, that would be commensurate with some sort of market correction. I don't want to put words in your mouth. And what you're telling me, I've got the impression it's probably going to be a pretty material correction, but you tell us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't deviated from my... Um target here. I still, and I don't have an official target. What I understand is that the rate of change, of the rate of change, second derivative of growth and inflation will be slowing dramatically and trenchantly, and that's going to cause asset prices to fall. I cannot predict the reaction function of the Federal Reserve that will truncate any such decline. But if you ask me what point would the S&P 500 make sense historically speaking if market forces were allowed to take it there you're talking about around 3000 so you're talking about a 33% or more 30 to 40% drop in the averages now does that preclude the fact that you know Powell can come out and say you know we're we're going back to zero and we're we're going back to QE um and we're opening up the you know the b the btfb now is is no longer alone it's now you know it's we're now permanently monetizing that debt i mean that's going to change inflation and growth i'm not going to sit here and, and and be dogmatic and say we're going to 3000 i said it i was going 3000 but that's where market forces would be more sustainable and if they were applied to the averages that's where they would go
1: okay and and again i just want to underscore that's the beauty of your model which is, let's say the Fed comes out and says, okay, you know what? We're going to cut interest rates by you know, 300 basis points tomorrow. And you know, we're going to do QE to the tune of 3 trillion or whatever. Those are all inputs that go into your model and your model will then tell you what to do next.
0: 100% correct. I look at, I look at changes in the G3 nations. So that's the United States, European Union, and China. Changes in fiscal and monetary policy, which are then validated and underwritten and backed up by the 20 components of my model.
1: Okay, and just to make sure that I and viewers understand this. So when, uh, this is just an input in your model, but say when central bank policy changes happen, you go into your model and you actually enter quantitative numbers to reflect that. And then your model will then say, okay, based on this input, here's the score I'm giving you.
0: Absolutely, It's it's a diffusion index. Which changes based on the inputs that I receive from fiscal and monetary policy changes. Those are two of the components of the model.
1: Okay, and again, one of the reasons why I'm just banging on this drum uh, about how your model works is one because I'm, I'm sure people are genuinely interested, but to underscore what you say so often, which is, you know, being a good financial advisor, you know, th- th- it's an art and a science, but you try to make it as much of a science as possible. So it's not just Michael Pento and whatever opinion he has when he wakes up this morning. Your model is telling you, "Hey, you know, from all the logic that you put into me, this is what you should be focused on right now."
0: So, you know, viscerally, I feel that I should be a lot more short the market, net short in my portfolio, which I am not currently—not net short at all. Um, so that's why you create a model, an algorithm based on data and math, so your feelings don't get in the way. So, if you just listen to the first part of our presentation. When I talk about all the debt outstanding and about the manipulation of interest rates and how high asset prices have gone, you might go, oh my God, let me head into the bunker with a can of beans and, and a bar of gold. Um, and, and that's the wrong thing to do because the model is based on looking at these arcane components that not everybody looks at every day, especially not in aggregate. So it tells me when, it, it gives me an early warning sign as to when the major participates, participants in the market are about to get nervous and sell, looking at these statistics that I'm looking at, looking at these metrics. So um, I, I am not gonna get ahead of them by the tune of you know, months or even you know, quarters. It, it, that would be unwise. So I wanna get nervous when the major players in the market begin to understand the deflation and the recession and begin to get ready to act on it, that's when I will, so so for instance, when high yield spreads begin to blow out, they're not right now. But when they start blowing out, then I'll know what's happening uh, or about to happen in the stock Mm -hmm. market. But front running that is to nobody's benefit. So rather than operate on my feelings, I'm I'm gonna use data and math on this model, which keeps me from saying, okay, you know, I came on the program. I was part of your, 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 um, your panel in March. I said, I, I, I intimated about all of these components that were flashing Amber and could be, and, and should be flashing red shortly, but they didn't. So I didn't increase my shorts, but I'm, that's why I come to work every day. Do using this model that keeps me on the right side of, uh, you know, it kept me out of the danger of 2022. It kept me making money in the bull market in, leading up to 2022. It, it's kept me from getting overly pessimistic in 2023. Now, in, in complete candor, you know, outside of AI, let's look at the facts here. The market is doing nothing. So don't, you know, I don't have what they call it FOMO or YOLO, whatever the acronym you yeah. want to use. If you're missing out, or you only live once. You know, I didn't get involved in the five or six stocks that have elevated the S and P 500 because that reminds me of the nifty 50 back in the, you know, back in the day, as they say. Um, But if you look at just the equal weight S and P 500 or the Russell 2000, the market is unchanged. So just, let's just relax. So what we're doing, you asked me about my current positioning. We are very overweight treasury bonds. We're, We're basically in a bond and bond proxy and defensive stance and posture right now. We have some gold. I did sell the miners a, a, about a week or so ago when they started to break down because I didn't like the direction of the interest rate complex. The move index was spiking. And um, and and after all, miners are stocks. So um, I still hold a significant amount of physical gold in the portfolio, around 10%. Um, but we're vastly overweight. Again, bond and bond proxies and dividends. We're just spinning off a tremendous amount of defensive dividends into the portfolio while we wait for the next, you know, shoot a drop, as they say, while I wait for confirmation from the model where it's time to increase the shorts. So we think about buying more dollars, um, buying, buying more treasuries, and primarily increasing the shorts in the portfolio. That's the next big thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to doing, shorting high yield to a greater extent and uh, increasing the shorts, as I said. Okay,
1: and, and just to remind folks that haven't watched your previous excellent videos with us, uh, uh, treasuries, uh, the dollar, um, gold, and shorts, those are your four horsemen of the apocalypse, if I got them right, right?
0: And, and cash. Gold, not, remember that gold can, be, can and will be used as a liquidity uh, uh, tool. So when, when everything goes to R-square or a correlation of one and everything goes down, you want cash, shorts, the dollar, and, and treasuries. Those, those are the four things. You, but, but gold is – I own a lot right now because gold can be moved in and out of that portfolio uh, because you know what happens. By the way, in, in disinflation, gold loves falling nominal in real interest rates. That's sector 2 We mm-hmm. had a spectacular run in, in, the, in the miners and in gold cashed out of the miner, still own gold. But on the other end of this liquidity crisis, which could or could not happen, so that's why I, I'm not going to probably sell all of my gold if we see a liquidity crisis emerge. Um, at the other end of that, Adam, what happens? We know what happens. Powell has made it very clear. He's, in fact, the Fed has inculcated very clearly to everyone. He cares nothing for the middle class. He cares nothing about anything he, he espouses to care about. Except one thing he cares about the free and fully functioning banking system. And a liquidity crisis shuts down credit. So the first thing he will do is cut interest rates and make the BTFP permanent and start monetizing debt again. And that's rocket fuel for gold because that caps, it tends to cap nominal rates. Think about what Japan's doing, it caps nominal rates, destroys the dollar and increases inflation, which is a fall in real interest rates. That's where we're headed. Um, And isn't that better, Adam, than a 60-40 buy and hold? Hey, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the stock market. So just buy and hold 64. Listen, Adam, if that's your advisor and you have other good advisors you work with, it's not just Pento here. You've got the good folks at New Harbor. I know you deal with Lance Roberts. It's not just, it's not just me. You have you have 95% of Wall Street that says just buy and hold the stock market. Well, then who the heck needs to pay you anything? I can give you five ETFs, maybe, you know, EEM, SPY, uh, TLT, uh, a few others, maybe some corporate bonds in there, um, and maybe XLK for stocks, if you want to overweight, you know, the NASDAQ. And you just, just go home and pay almost nothing. And in the end, you'll, you'll be fine but it's just it's this artificial um and and very fragile edifice that central banks have built which has led to 30 to 50% drops in the averages which you don't need to suffer if you have right. a vibrant and robust model and that's what we've created
1: and you are making exactly the case why wealthy on always ends its videos with encouraging people to seek the guidance of a professional financial advisor who takes into account all these macro issues that we talk about here, Michael. And as you know, they're kind of rare. <laughs> yeah, they really are kind of rare, the ones that that follow these issues and take them actively account into account in their portfolio management. And you're doing just an excellent job in showing how a good advisor operates, thinks through all this, you know, leverages uh, data and, you know, keeps emotion at check. And, you know, so thank you again for for showing everybody all this Thank real you, quick, just you, before I you, forget you, the you question, could, go ahead. I, just
0: want to say, I want to say one thing. You, you know why? Because you have to make a choice as an advisor, as a registered investment professional. Do you want to be a salesperson? Or do you want to do the hard work that it takes to measure and map the economy? Well, it's a lot easier to you know, go golfing and, and shake hands and say, hey, you know, let's go, put your money here. I have a great, my wirehouse is has a great name, you know, but it takes a lot of work to do what I do. It's a lot harder, but the rewards are immense.
1: Well, and, and what I value about you coming on and, and you know having the New Harbor guys and Lance on every week is <clears throat> um, I, I bring them on not to say, go work with these guys, though, folks, if you are really enjoying what Michael has to say, go reach out to him <laughs> and talk to him. And and at the end of this video, Michael will we'll share the particulars and how folks can contact you if they want to. But most importantly, I just want to show them how a good financial advisor thinks and operates so that they have a picture in their mind of what to aspire to. So when they are talking to different candidates, they've got a a good basis for comparison in mind. Um, Real quick, just before I forget, um, on gold, uh, I think I understand you, but just for folks that are listening, um, it sounds to me like you think that if we get the market correction that you expect for the reasons you expect, gold's trajectory may be a little bit like a check mark. Right, where it'll it'll go down as as correlations go to one, and just anything that has value gets sold to meet margin calls, and and people are just trying to survive, you know, the downdraft. Right, but then it bottoms, and if the Fed responds, central banks responds the way you think they will, that creates an incredibly gold friendly environment, and then bang, you know, it has a, a great response from there. And of course, we have precedent for this many times, but certainly right after the, the great financial crisis, you know, gold had a great run coming out of, uh, out of that from you know, 2010 to 2012, uh, it, those that held on to their precious metals and their miners did great in that environment.
0: I, uh, because I like you and I'm feeling very generous today. So what, what I'm going to use to help me, to guide me, not only my model uh, for, for when that impending liquidity crisis happens, but, but in particular, you asked about gold. There's something called a gold volatility index, GVZ is the symbol. And when that volatility spikes, it will inform me if that happens in conjunction with this, you know, incipient liquidity crisis, as we move from sector two to sector one, a full in sector one, get the heck out of gold because you will see that check mark. And that could cause, you know, the metal could drop 10, 15%. I, I just don't want that in my life. If I, can, if I, if I see it happening, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll sell and I'll get, a, I'll get a much better price and liquidity, in, in, in these paper gold, I call it paper physical gold, is, is terrific. I can get in and out of GLD or IAU in a, in a snap. So that's what I will do. But I will use the gold volatility index to assist me. Because if that stays quiescent, even in the, in the face of a liquidity crisis, I will not sell my gold.
1: Okay, great. That's a, that's a great uh... Uh, it's a great indicator you just gave us to watch. Nobody has mentioned that gold volatility index on this program before. I'm surprised because we've had so many gold people talk about gold. So thank you for sharing that. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to be interested in checking that out. Uh Um, (laughs) All all right, Michael here. Well, look, um, uh, I, I mean, I I could keep going on with you for, for hours, but I've I've taken way too much of your time here. I got to, I got to start to wrap this up. Um, I, I, And first off, Michael, I hope we can have you back on this program again multiple times this year as fits in your schedule so that you can update us on what your your model is telling us. Obviously, interested people should go talk to you. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, As as we begin to conclude, I'd like to ask you just to opine on um, something that I I tweeted about last night. And you and I were actually chatting a little bit about this um, right before we turned the recording on here. Which is, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there in this world, and I think many who are watching right now who would, would call themselves as being in the sandwich generation, where they are, um, uh, you know, not only charting their own financial futures and trying to prepare for their own retirements, but they are helping elderly parents and they are still raising children, right? And so there's lots of cash outflows going in, in both directions at this point in time. And of course, in addition to the cash, you know, there's a lot of time and energy and emotion uh, uh, invested in all this. You know, you you are a money manager and a financial advisor, right? So you work with real people who have real goals, real dreams, you know, real life issues that they're having to deal with. I am certain that this is probably something that a number of your clients are are dealing with at, at their current life stage, and they're just curious as as someone who helps advise people. Uh, do you have any sort of just general counsel to share with these people as they try to, you know, chart their, you know, their, their, their happiness and health, but, but, you know, from your perspective, their financial prosperity here, what's a really challenging time. Cause of course, you know, they're doing that now in a post pandemic environment where, you know, cost of living has gone bananas, right. You know, the, 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 cost to, and, and, and cost of education has gone bananas. So if you've got a parent that's in a home that you're having to pay for, if you've got kids that are going to a college, particularly a private one, I mean, it is daunting. I'm just, I, I, as I go through this, I wonder how the average person, you know, survives because it's just, it's it's it can be really, the cash burn can really hurt at times. So anyways, I'm just curious, do you have any, 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 uh, general thoughts, counsel, words of advice for people at that life stage? Because I'm I'm hearing from the tweet I put out there, there are a lot of people that are dealing with this right now.
0: Well, a lot of people say, you know, um, get out of debt. Well, I mean, I, I, I just want to just throw this in, at them. You know, if you have a a mortgage, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at 3%, don't get out of debt. Because, I, I, you know, you want to get out of floating rate debt, you know, credit card debt. Home equity lines of credit, Those are the, that's the kind of debt you want to get out of. But but debt that's locked in at very ultra low interest rates, I don't think we're going to see them ever again. Because on the on the other end of this next recession, depression, liquidity crisis, um, the response from the Federal Reserve, you know, it's one thing for them to, to lower interest rates when inflation is the problem, the, the, the problem with inflation is it's just too darn low. But when when you when you're just coming off the back of 9% in reality, 20% inflation, and then you return to the same playbook that engendered that inflation, which is helicopter money. Because I have no doubt Janet Yellen will be right there holding hands with Powell, sending checks to the to, to people again. And then wondering, how, you know, how did we get this inflation? Was it a supply chain bottleneck? You know, was, it, was it Russia? Was it Putin's fault? No, no, you caused the inflation. You sent interest rates spiking. So I don't think that, you know, what I, what I know is going to happen, what, what I'm very confident in is that the Fed doesn't control long-term interest rates. They control the overnight interbank lending rate. They do not control long-term interest rates. So the next time the Federal Reserve resorts to this kind of action, zerp and QE, I don't think long-term rates are quiescent. I think they go back to where they were in the '80s and late '70s. That's the real risk. And then you're paying on your then you're paying three percent on a fixed rate mortgage, and you're going to be smiling. Um, the other thing I want to say, just to wrap you know, wrap up your question, is sure. turn off turn off CNBS. And watch programs like like this this great channel, because I'm I'm not being um, a sycophant here. What I'm saying is that you have great, excluding myself, great intellects coming on the program.
1: Not excluding you. Come on, buddy.
0: (laughs) Who have made, who have devoted their lives to helping people by not just doing the perfunctory moving averages and the perfunctory feelings. They actually measure and map the economy and that's the best thing you could do is not be a 60 40 40 buy and hold pigeon you have to be a little more flexible a little more imaginative with your investments and that's what i've done and i and i know you have other people you work with too
1: well, thanks. And a big part of that, Michael, you know, what I what I what I love about your approach is it's it's very, you know, client-centric, putting a client first, all that type of stuff. But you're not beating your chest and saying, look, I've got a secret magic model that's going to beat the market year in, year out. You're hopefully going to be making smart decisions and, and being a smart captain yeah. of people's wealth. But a lot of what your approach is is, look, my job is to make sure I just don't run the ship aground uh, you know, when there are, when there is Inclement market conditions, right? So what you're trying to do is really avoid those downdrafts that if you are sitting in an index fund, right? If somebody just says, "Ah, oh, you know, screw the advisor, I'm just going to build this simple ETF that, that Michael mentioned there, and I'm going to go that route. Fine. And maybe in the long, long run, you'll do okay. But there will be periods there, like last year, right? Where your drawdown mm-hmm. will be 20 plus percent. And that's just years of your life that you, uh, of gains that you've just lost, that you have to spend years making up before you're even beginning to get ahead again, right? And a really good advisor like you, who's very risk mitigation focused, that's a huge part of the value you bring is just making sure that people don't have those (laughs) necessary setbacks, um, especially when the market, you know, now is, 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 uh, yeah. Right for surprises as it is. Uh, I, 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 so anyways, I'm, I'm I'm singing your song sheet here, but um, I, I think it's a really key part of the value offer.
0: It, it, thank you. Thank you very much, Adam. You know, it's not just avoiding those, those drawdowns. It's like, it, it's knowing what asset classes and style factors to invest in, in, in various times. So for instance, you know, in sector one, you want to be overweight bonds, but the last thing you want to own is a corporate or treasury bond in sector five. Right. which is tractable inflation. So that makes a big difference in the in the in those who adhere to the 60-40 portfolio. You, you're really going to attenuate your returns with this static kind of approach to investing. All right.
1: Well, look, Michael, like I said, I could keep going on forever. And there are a lot of other questions, uh, more of these sort of like, hey, what do you think about, you know, What's really important in terms of life and wealth building and whatnot, that maybe the next time you come on, we can reserve a little bit more time to dig into that stuff. Because I know from talking to you off air many times, you've got some of the wisest counsel I've encountered out there on this stuff. But uh, sadly, we don't have the time now. So we got to wrap things up for people that have really enjoyed this discussion, as I'm sure most have. And for the likely very few who didn't know you already before this, Michael, who would like to follow you in your work, where should they go?
0: So the website is pentoport.com. My email address is mpento at pentoport.com. The phone number for the office is 732-772-9500. If you have about $100,000 to invest and you're a US citizen, I'd like to talk to you about this um, robust alternative style of investing. Um, If you don't have $100,000 to invest, then there's a podcast. It's called the Midweek Reality Check that I record every Wednesday. And it gives you some of my, you know, 38,000 foot feelings, not feelings, uh, data. (laughs) I shouldn't have said feeling. (laughs) My point of view on the market derived from what I'm seeing from my model is a more accurate way of depicting what the midweek reality check is. And And I give you, you know, data that I see during the week that is either buried by the major financial, you know, mainstream financial media outlets. Or they just aren't aware of it. They just don't care about it. Um, but you'll get that all on my midweek reality check. So uh, please uh, don't don't hesitate to contact us. We we won't bite. We'll treat you very well, especially since we know that you're friends of Mr. Taggart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so kind, you silver tongue charmer. Uh, all right, Michael. It is always a pleasure. Thanks for just putting it all, all out in the field again here, uh, like you always do when you come on this channel. Um, Thanks so much. Like I said, doors always open for you to come back whenever you want, but it's just always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Taggart, and God bless.
1: All right. Well, now is the time on the channel where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisory firms by Wealthion, uh, to react to all the great things that Michael just said in this discussion, as well as talk a bit about uh, what the markets have been up to over the past week. I'm joined as usual by John Lodra and Mike Preston. Hey guys, lots to react to. Michael is always great. He certainly is one of those players who just leaves it all on the field. Very curious to hear what your guys' key takeaways from this were. John, why don't we start with you?
2: Hello again, Adam. Uh, yeah we we always enjoy Michael Pento as do your viewers it's evident uh in the responses you get when he makes his his frequent appearances and actually we've gotten to know Michael on a personal level we consider him a friend and a really good guy and and that's that shown through in some of his comments about uh, like we he he views his profession as a way to really help people and and uh, yeah we study markets and we talk about data but it but ultimately it comes to the people that we serve and hopefully we make an impact um so really appreciated that human side but um yeah so michael reinforced a lot of uh what what we have talked about perhaps ad nauseum and and one of the things we very much like about michael is is just the propensity to speak the truth right Uh, our industry is not really known for speaking the truth it's you know really an industry that spins things with a positive uh, viewer rating, kind of job security, career risk, kind of rosy glasses, and and one of the things we we like about Michael is he he lets the data uh, speak the truth as we try to do, and and he, it's unavoidable. And he touched upon many data points, including the the massive amount of stimulus and the distortions that it, it caused in in many markets, creating the triumvium of bubbles that we've we've often talked about the stock market, the uh, bond market and the housing market all together. And, and Jeremy Grantham would be from GMO would be one uh, to point out that never before in history has there been a simultaneous bubble of of these broad asset classes together all at once, um, or at least to the degree we have now. So we really, um, really appreciated that uh, from Michael. Yeah, he talked about uh, the liquidity. You know, I want to share a chart here that and, and he talks about central bank's balance sheets and um, you know being you know from going from 8% of uh gdp uh globally i think in 2000 to almost you know about 47% i think he he said uh currently oh, that's um that's staggering isn't it staggering it, it really is but you know look what's been done the last especially the last decade but uh you know we're going to we're going to give a nod to another great chart that we've i think shown before uh, by john Hussman. and i and I like to share that now just to kind of put it at least least um uh for in the us here can you see my chart here
1: Yep, looks good.
2: Yeah, so this is a scatter, part, a scatter plot on the x-axis here is uh, Federal Reserve total liabilities, reserves, uh, currency repos as a percentage uh, of, of nominal GDP. So you can see it's about 0.33, 33%. Um, and it's a scatter plot correlating that to uh, treasury yields. And in this case, John Hussman adjusts to, to show the yield of over and above uh, the interest on reserves that the Fed is paying banks, and the reason we, we do that, or he does that, is because essentially those those reserves that are parked at the at the Fed by banks are out of the system. They're getting, you know, basically paid to be out of the system. So, so really, um, you know, even though those reserves are out there, they're they're not the same kind of stimulus that people. People, uh, you know, think it or liquidity is still still out there. Let like people think there are. That's that's one of the things I pointed out in uh, I think our, our recording last week, Adam. That we, we the industry has uh, collectively oversimplified saying, "Oh, look at central banks' balance sheets; they're expanding, they're contracting." You know, that means there's more liquidity. There's much more nuance nuance to that uh, you know, because the, the the balance sheets really is what gave rise to these. 0% uh, cash reserves that have been in the system for the last decade. Now they're not 0% anymore. They're five and sometimes 6% now in some of the very short-term treasury bills. So that, that liquidity is not the same. Liquidity in the system at 5% is nowhere near the same as liquidity in the system at, at 0%. So absolutely, and we agree with, with Michael Pento that that um, liquidity in general is tightening or, or certainly going to tighten further, especially as uh, the, the debt ceiling uh, gets resolved and um, the Treasury's going to start uh, issuing debt again to to refund that. That's going to be a big sucking sound to the tune of I think 1.1 trillion, uh, sucking liquidity out of the the, the market, uh, out of the system, and and uh, refunding the uh, Treasury account. I just want to jump to the next uh, next chart because I think I think Michael also talked about money supply, and this is a chart showing the record contraction in in M2. He, he talked a lot about M2, and you can see here the um, the white line shows, you know, going back to the 60s, uh the, the rate of change, the year over year contraction in M2 money supplies is, is absolutely unheard of. Uh and, and that we think will ultimately play out into much tighter, uh, tighter liquidity and and give give rise probably to uh a pretty nasty recession later this year, like Michael Michael Pento uh, uh also believes. Yeah, so before you positive. hop off
1: that chart, I, I just want to underscore for folks. You know, M2 money supply is the the growth of which has changed over time, but it has always grown. Right. And what this chart is showing, this is this is sort of one of those, it is different this time moments where really for the first time since at least the 60s, we actually have a contraction in money supply where it is actually getting smaller. And that's just a world we haven't lived in in pretty much living memory of anybody, you know, watching this video.
2: Yeah, economists will talk about stock versus flow and, and Michael Pento, a core aspect of his models uh, is essentially the, the the acceleration or deceleration of the rate of That That is a key and you might call it momentum. In fact, we'll talk about a little bit later how some of this, the principles he uses in his economic model really um, are similar to the kind of principles we use in our are a uh, market and technical models that help us guide um, where we see strength and, and weakness in markets. But we'll pause great, here. Great. and, uh, and
1: start to interrupt just one last time. But just on your point you just made, even if you're just looking at at flows and the rate of change, again, we've never seen a deceleration this extreme in the data series since the '60s. Correct?
2: Yeah, it's 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 really uh, chalk that up for another data point that has never been so extreme and and, uh, call us old fashioned, but we we think this is really just emblematic of a a lot of things starting to kind of right themselves from being very distorted
1: over the last, uh, certainly the last decade. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing those charts, John. Um, I know, I think you've got some other charts we'll get to in a moment. You know, Michael was very kind to really give a very detailed peek inside the model he uses. I know that you guys at New Harbor have your own, um, you know, sets of data and dashboards and and uh, heuristics that you use, and that you might be able to give us a little peek into some of those, too. Uh, before we do that, though, Mike, let me come over to you. Curious to hear, you know, some of your key takeaways were and maybe your reaction, too, to how Michael's positioned. You know, he talked about. Uh, the different stages that he invests for, you know, stage one is is deflation. That's where he says, you know, you have his four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? You've got uh, cash and treasuries, uh, owning the dollar and shorts, basically, and also a little bit of gold. Um, you know, he says right now, uh, he's kind of halfway positioned between stage one and stage two. Stage two is disinflation, which obviously is what we're in right now. Um, and you know, if I remember correctly, he's he's pretty you know his cash reserves are elevated. He's in the dollar. He's holding on to gold. Talked about how he might unload it a little bit if if things go a little wonky. Uh, the big thing it sounds like is he's not really going heavy into shorts yet because he's waiting for his model to tell him you know when were they're truly in in stage one. Um, but curious to hear whatever reactions you had.
3: Hey, Adam, thanks. Yeah, just looking through my notes here and I'd like to cover a couple of points that haven't been mentioned yet and really enjoyed that conversation. It was just packed full of data. Michael does a great job of just weaving the data into a, a story. I think he's an artist at it and uh, you know he's got a system that we really respect. He's got a system that's very rules-based and uh, he's absolutely right. If you don't have rules, if you don't have some kind of rules then emotions and psychology can can take their toll, and you really, if you if you look at what's happened this, these last fifteen years, especially, and and uh, and we agree with Michael that we're living through the greatest distortion in history. Uh, re- really, it's it's been kind of like a a game on psychology, and a lot of conversations that we've been having with people are like, how do we know what's real? You know, what's keeping this crash at bay? Those are Michael's words. What's keeping this crash? at bay. Well, it's been this this amazing increase in stimulus over the last bunch of years, particularly post-COVID. But psychologically, people just have this feeling, this gut feeling inside that things aren't quite right and and they don't understand how markets can keep where they are, you know, particularly with interest rates above 5%. You know, we've got stocks like Nvidia, for instance, reporting last night. It's just up a massive amount after a massive run the last few the last few months, it's trading at, just looking at my notes here, it's trading at like 35 times sales, 180 times earnings. You know, this is far beyond what the tech stocks traded at at the peak of the dot-com bubble, yet nothing seems to matter, nothing seems to, re, to be real. So how do we know what's real? To some extent, we're living through some sort of an illusion, I really believe that, an illusion that has been created by this massive stimulus. It's real today, but it may not be real tomorrow. And for instance, if this market corrects in a big way and some of these stocks come way down, I think we'll look backwards and say, wow, that wasn't all real. But so this that's what we're living through, a a time of surreality. Um, And that's really the aim of the wealth effect, I think, to some extent. So um, just touching on on some data points here, um, we've been at 0% Borrowing costs for 10 years. Michael talked about the real funds rate, the real Fed funds rate, the real rate of borrowing, or the real cost of borrowing, I guess is the way to put it. We went from minus 8% to just north of finally 0%. I think his chart showed 0.1. That is a huge, huge change. I mean, we just lived through the longest or the biggest period of, of cost free borrowing, I think, in history. And so we saw all kinds of crazy projects being undertaken. We've seen all kinds of bubbles and meme stocks and crypto coins, and and the 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 barrier or the hurdle to make an investment in just about any project is so low that's changing now. And it's taking some time. There's a lag for it to come through in the economy, but um, you know it's 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 coming. I believe and, and some of the charts and data that he talked about show that there was a giant increase in M2 42 43 percent post covid the, the chart that John just showed shows M2 finally you know contracting liquidity is starting to, to to dry up and the the Fed raise rates I guess it's been 14 15 months ago now typically there's a lag in the economy of about a year it seems that lag is a little bit longer now than it has been in the past but I don't think this time is different. And Lastly, valuations. Michael didn't talk a lot about valuations, but valuations are beyond anything we've ever seen in history. And uh, they still sit at about 40 times or more margin adjusted Shiller PE ratios. And statistically, you just can't tie that into any positive expected return over the next decade. But none of that, none of that has mattered. We happen to think that he's positioned correctly with a lot of cash, treasuries, um, gold, and he's thinking about shorting. And he, th- there was one chart that he had up that he said he would increase his shorts when he saw an acceleration. Basically, what he measures is the rate of change of the rate of change of some of his indicators. In calculus, that's the second derivative or it's called acceleration. And um, he's looking for that to happen. It looks like it's going to happen in some of his indicators. We're not quite there yet. He talked about lastly, credit spreads if they start to blow out again that'll get him a little bit more concerned. But you know, really, we're in this phase, just in closing, that it doesn't feel real. People don't know what's real. Uh, they know that they've got a lot of wealth in their property and in their brokerage accounts and their IRAs and 401ks. But uh, they feel like if they don't take corrective action or defensive action, that a lot of what they feel is not real will become less and so therefore be less real to them and a lot of conversations that we're having in fact almost all of them is uh what I'd call grounding conversations about how to make them feel safer how to make them actually safer in reality by moving to more safe assets making sure that they've got some some real assets in gold and silver and talking about their real estate and um you know we want to help people survive what's coming and thrive eventually and and that is to, to step back and realize you may have to leave the game with, with part of your assets. And when I say leave the game, the, the traditional 60-40 mix or the indexing game and move into safer assets, gold, silver, short-term treasuries, and uh, and that kind of thing. So I'll pause there. Thanks.
1: All right. Um, well, you you raised a number of great points there. A um, couple I want to ask about. One is... Um, You said you're having grounding conversations because I'm sure some people are kind of pulling their hair out, right? I mean, after, especially after last year, right, where it seemed like the folks that tend to watch this channel who have sort of been skeptical of the high valuations that exist, that still exist today, but existed prior to the end of 2021, right, um, they felt pretty validated like okay great you know i i was right this market was way too overvalued it's really selling off hard here in 2022 uh but now the market is up for the year and in certain corners of the market which you know concentrated in those few big tech stocks that that drive the indices they're having a banner year right and you talked about nvidia which is basically having a dot com type of year dot com bubble type of year right i mean just back at the insane mania right and so my guess is that some people are sort of starting to second guess themselves, like, wait, I don't really understand this, but is 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 is, you know, I, I got my neighbor who doesn't think about this stuff, who just blindly throws his money into Fang stocks and he's doing great, right? Um, you know, are, are people beginning to feel that tug of FOMO yet? Uh are, are you seeing clients beginning to kind of worry a little bit about this? About, I don't
3: understand it, but it looks like a new bull run could be starting here. Yeah, a little bit. There's a little bit of that starting to creep in because it feels unreal. It's just um, the, the stories are coming out with, like you said, with the neighbors and the friends, and they're doing great because they're all in one stock or they're concentrated in one stock. And I know the story isn't over yet, but uh, I do believe that we're going to look back and see that this was a bigger bubble in, in some of these stocks than even the dot-com peak. And as I just mentioned before, NVIDIA are at you know 35x sales, 180x earnings. These are numbers that we've, you know, surpass um, you know, numbers from like uh, Intel, Cisco, and some of the other .dot com darlings. So, yeah, the, the grounding conversations are, are are such that we we have to remind people that in a lot of ways they may have already won the game. This is something that I like to say, and a lot of conversations with people with significant assets they have a good strategy, they have good good lands, a real estate and tangible assets. They've already won, you know, they've already won. If the game is to have enough security to live the way you want for the rest of your life and maybe provide for your heirs, uh, you, you've already won. You don't need to get every little bit of upside. And we fully realize that- right. And we certainly don't need to put it at risk to try to go for no. that upside, yeah. And we, and we fully realize that some of the shorter indicators were starting to flip positive, certainly with the S&P breaking above 4,200 last week. And it's a little bit below that now. So it's, it may very well be a false breakout. Um, yeah, we fully realized that we could have one more FOMO blow off top. There's, there's some people out there calling for that. It's possible. But to, to really play the game and try to capture that, it's really not worth it. You know, I'm not saying that we won't participate or try to participate in a measured and hedge fashion if that happens. But for the most part, it's to, most people psychologically won't be able to do that because even if they went all in and we're lucky enough to be right, it's going to be very hard to get out before that inevitable crash comes. Uh, because frankly, if that were to happen, I think the crash would ultimately be worse. And so, and, and that's if that happens. It's highly likely that the top was December and January, December of 21 and January of 22. And here we keep beating the drum. There is an alternative now. There is an alternative. Short-term, high-quality treasury bills. I know there's some worry about that with the budget debate. Don't worry about that, honestly. I mean, you can never say never, but I wouldn't worry about that too much. I would just move to safety, make sure that you have your house in order in terms of having some exposure to real assets and wait for the ultimate opportunity to buy to buy things cheaper. That doesn't mean do nothing or be, have a 0% allocation of stocks. There's some stocks that look great here. Gold miners are on a big pullback in the last couple of weeks. They look attractive. Um, and there's some other resource stocks, energy stocks are on a pullback. We're looking for a bigger pullback to make an entry there. But overall, uh, it's a psychological game, Adam. That's really what this wealth effect is all about. That's the aim of all of this. That's how you service a mountain of debt that just keeps getting bigger. And um, we think it's going to end badly. So strong defense is in order. All right. Um, John, last week you had uh,
1: brought up that Scott McNeely quote, right? When Sun Microsystems was trading, I think, at 10 times sales during the dot-com bubble and his incredulity to his own investors saying, hey, guys, you know, to justify today's stock price, I have to give a hundred percent of every dollar of revenue to you guys for the next decade. I can't have any expenses at all to justify the stock price. So you guys are, you know, way overvaluing my company. Now we have get NVIDIA at multiples of, of that. So it's just bananas. And, and this is a good argument for having a model, right? I mean, having a very data-driven model that can, you know, tell you without bias you know, what, given the the logic that you put into it, you know, what the most likely next steps are. And and that can really help prevent against the FOMO of, oh my gosh, you know, some folks are making gazillions right now because there's sort of, you know, bubble fervor going on. Uh, A really good model can help make sure that you don't get overly influenced by those emotions into doing something Dangerous, whether you're an individual or even a financial advisor like you guys. So we've mentioned that you had a, a, a little bit of uh, data to share about your own models there at New Harbor. Would you want to pull those up for folks here?
2: Yeah, I will. And and I, before we move on from that uh, uh, Neely Cook quote and the this the circus that's going on with Nvidia, I, you know, there were all kinds of overnight quotes about you know the trying to put in comparison what the market cap increase in Nvidia was, and you know it, it was like. You know, three times of Company A's total market cap, or the one that kind of caught me the most was it was essentially like four times the amount of funds left in the Treasury uh, General Account. <laughs> I don't know if that was uh, more a statement about how low the the Treasury General Account is getting, or or how big the uh, the move in Nvidia is, but uh, pretty pretty absurd moves, no matter how you look at it. But yeah, so you know one of the things we appreciate about Michael's talk today was his um, openness about his own uh, system, his own model. It's an economically uh, economic data driven model and, and certainly the economy does have a profound impact on on assets and financial markets. Um, you know, we thought we'd follow suit and just share a little glimpse at some of the disciplined tools we use. And I think any purveyor of a model would, would be humble enough, I'm sure Michael included, to admit that uh, models are not always gonna look clairvoyant. They're gonna look downright um, out of step with things uh, quite often. And this is where the discipline, and frankly, there is still always room for judgment. Michael, for example, talked about, even though he thinks uh, we're presently in stage two of his five regimes, um, you know, he's already starting to kind of sprinkle in some stage one deflationary type uh, scenario. So that's, I think, an expression of probably him using some discretion there, just like we do. In, in application around most. so I, so i just took some screenshots of some of our dashboards that we look at and, and frankly this would be a week-long presentation to kind of go through all the dashboards that we look at but, but let me just share a couple of those those dashboards if i could uh hopefully that's showing up okay on the screen Yep,
1: yeah, looks great all
2: right so this is a broad asset class model and one of the one of the key tenants of of our so michael a couple of key key tenants of michael's michael pinto's model were this this notion of uh, accelerating and decelerating uh, uh, trends in these various twenty economic indicators that he, he has, we likewise look at things like that that you might call that momentum type indicators and, and different things and different features of the market. Uh, he also talks about the diffusion index models that he uses. That's just r- really another way of saying uh, breath or lack thereof. Uh, you, that could be applied to economic data, but it also can be applied to market data. So we use those kinds of concepts pretty pretty thoroughly through our technical and market um, screens, if you will. So this this screen here just shows, um, this is largely um, a concept called relative strength. And it basically is, um, it's like ranking uh, horses, right? Horses have hot streaks or uh, there are seasons where that horse is, is, you know, consistently beating other horses and, and vice versa. And, and that's the concept of relative strength. So broadly speaking, this dashboard shows a a systematic relative strength ranking of broad asset classes relative to the other broad asset classes, and you can see here just ranked from highest relative strength to lowest. International equities is in the top spot. Commodities in the second. Uh, domestic equities just recently flipped into the third spot, uh, just supplanting cash. Cash was in the in the third spot, and you can see way at the bottom is fixed income, and that's not you know, short-term treasury bills like we hold. That's longer-term. Uh, treasury bonds and and corporate bonds and things like that, which still the the yield uh, trends there are not necessarily uh, that great uh, in the fixed income. That's why it's you know they're showing some negative relative or weaker relative strength. Then in currencies, the dollar has been generally pretty strong, and and so that's why uh, you know for non-dollar currencies have been relatively weak. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on here, but. Um, that, that we don't have time to get into, but, but again, and, and we're we're tilted uh, with a bias towards international stocks ourselves, uh, tilted towards commodities. Not, not that we're blindly following the screen, but there's a lot of factors, valuations, and some of these technical factors that uh, stack in that favor. Let me just kind of go through a couple more. So just d- digging into the commodities sector, this is a, a dive down into the commodity space from that prior. And this is a ranking within the commodity space. You can see precious metals is in the top spot there in the commodities and energy, even though we're very keen on, on looking at, we think energy stocks, for example, are gonna be a, a really strong place to be, but it's about timing. We're, we're looking for better entry places and, and, and better um, behavior uh, from a from a technical standpoint and we agree with michael pento simple moving averages and things like that you talk about something that ai can can easily replace you know those kind of simple tools you know forget about needing a human to do that right uh, so having a, a battery of of different indicators where you can kind of use a weight of the evidence kind of approach like like we do and i'm, I'm sure michael does with his model uh, But you can see energies in the in, in the weakest spot here that'll that will change with the season and and as as price dynamics uh, change but right now precious metals remain in, in the, the strongest spot this next chart just shows how these broad asset classes have have, you know, changed positioning over time. So these are these are different days. You can see uh, it wasn't until just recently that uh, domestic equities flipped uh, more green, more strong on a relative basis than cash. Up 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 until um, you know just a, a handful of days ago, cash, commodities, and international equities were in the driver's seat from a relative strength. So so these are some of the dashboards that we can use to. You know, monitor the the movements underlying the markets, and and we'll reinforce what, what Michael Pento said. You know, the, the the broad indices are so so uh, inordinately swayed by these small hand handful of largely tech stocks. Uh, you look at the equal weight S and P and the Russell two thousand, barely anywhere. I I forget where they are year to date, but way way more sluggish performance than the cap weighted indices, and that just speaks to a very unhealthy, very narrow market. Um, and that's what this this third this this last slide is 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 one metric of looking at this. This is kind of you know a form of a diffusion measure, a breadth measure that uh, that that we look at. This is the it's called a bullish percent indicator, and basically what this shows is the percentage of stocks in this index, in in, in this case the New York Stock Exchange, that are on uh, buy signals, uh, technical buy signals, and. Uh, when the column is in O's, this is a, what's called a point and figure chart, and it uses X and, X's and O's and columns. But when the column is in in O's, like it is right here, that's showing a declining um, breadth. You know, basically, fewer and fewer stocks are on buy signals. Um, it shows a narrowing in the market. And you know, there's a lot of stuff to, to tease out of this. You know, if you go back, for example, to March of of um, uh, 2020 when COVID hit, you know, there was an absolute collapse. And at some point, this this measure can be quite a contrarian indicator. Uh, when it gets so washed out here, it's basically saying, "Geez, every stock that could have been pushed to a sell signal, more or less has." You know, the 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 path of least resistance now is probably more likely a move higher. So that very that was you know just one data point that was very predictive of a sharp bounce from the COVID lows. But look at uh, 20, uh, 2021 here. We, we we saw a dramatic decline in the breath, and that certainly led into. Um, what turned out to be very weak uh, 2022. So these are, again, not meant to be an all-encompassing snapshot of our system, but just to to give a glimpse at some of the tools that we use from a technical standpoint that kind of help guide our our barometers and and resist the urge to um, kind of uh, respond to every headline that you might see uh, going on on uh, financial news porn.
1: Wow, super helpful and super fascinating. Um, Thanks so much for sharing that, John. Uh, Maybe sometime we can have you come on and share a few more of the other indicators in the the model as well. Um, Folks, if you'd like to see that, let us know in the comments section below. I have a lot of questions about it, but I'm gonna have to leave them for a different uh, day just because we're running out of time here. Um, uh, Two last questions for you. Mike, I'll come back to you on this one. so uh, the, the model there is, is as John just showed, is still pretty bullish on commodities and particularly precious metals. We talk a lot about gold in this channel. Mike, you mentioned that the miners uh, have uh, sold off a bit here. Um, gold and silver have sold off a bit in the past couple of weeks um, that, that could be due to some of the relative strength in the dollar because they tend to be inversely correlated. But I just want to ask you a question based upon something you said earlier. So you noted how Michael Pento mentioned that um, that real yields right now, uh, real interest rates right now, are positive for the first time in in a long time. You know, Michael had showed a chart. There were a few little brief moments a few years back where we crested above uh, the positive bound, but but for the most part, the past decade plus has been negative real interest rates. And uh, gold tends to perform better the more negative uh, real interest rates are. Um, right now, we have the Fed basically saying, hey, we're, we're, we are we're we may still hike a bit, right? Bullard just said on Monday that he thinks there's going to be two more rate hikes. Uh, Powell's being a little bit more squirrely, but he's definitely saying, at a minimum, I'm going to hold for the rest of this year, right? At above 5%. Um, CPI, as best we can tell, is still on a downward trajectory right? We've got some folks saying it might be stickier and slower to move from here, but still likely to be moving downwards. Um, Michael made a pretty good argument for deflation coming up here soon. So it seems like in in, in the near future in this year, we're going to still have high rates, um, but CPI is going to be coming down, meaning the real rate is going to be increasing potentially. Will that be weighing on gold in your opinion?
3: Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. It is a potential risk, but it's only one factor out of many that influences the gold price. Um, I may share a chart of, of gold here and a couple different charts, so we can just take a look at it. Um, and, and you know, and perhaps this strong negative real uh, rates, what has been a tailwind. I can't deny that's probably helped gold here over the last uh, bunch of quarters that we did move from sixteen hundred to above. 2000 recently you know and threatened what i thought was a critical breakout at 2100 here in the last 2 weeks we've had a big pullback in gold a uh, little over 100 dollars an ounce so yeah if if real rates go uh from here i think his chart showed something like a 0.1% real rate if they if they get stronger positive from here that could be a headwind but again it's only one factor there's a lot of things that could influence Gold, I mean, another headwind is potentially the dollar, which has recently moved from 100 to 103 that uh, we've been pretty open about being in agreement with Brent Johnson's outlook that uh, the dollar will probably get stronger, particularly in an economic crisis. That could be a headwind. Uh, Bear in mind that we're recommending that people have five to 10% of their investable assets in gold and or silver. We're not saying go all in. Um, But I, I can also envision a time where Real assets go positive. The dollar gets stronger, and gold and silver still go up, and and that's hard to predict. You know, that's with just pure data. Some of this and some of what we do is based in data, and some of it's based in you know, gut feel about what could happen. We can envision a time where confidence is lost and the the Fed's ability to continually print, you know, funny money for lack of a better way to say it to bail out every single downturn in the markets if confidence is lost at some point um and, and and furthermore confidence is lost in the omnipotence of central banks of all central banks i think that we could see gold break out above that 2100 and go right to 2500 even in a world of positive real int- uh, interest rates and even if the dollar goes from its current 103 up to where it might likely go 130 plus new new highs during an economic crisis. I think all of those things can happen at once. And so, and if I could just wrap up perhaps just by sharing the chart, I think it might be a good thing to, to visit quickly here because I was just reviewing them a minute ago. So I'll just share this chart really, really quickly. And here's, and I could show it in a couple different ways but here's just a, a, a regular candlestick chart. Yeah, bar chart actually. And uh, so this is on a monthly basis. And, um, you know, here we had, let me just go to month actually. This is a monthly basis. A lot of people are calling for a triple top. They're saying this is a triple top. This is a 20 year chart of gold, went through a huge consolidation post 2011 high, a big triangle, which broke out here and then consolidated again into a triangle. And now we have potentially a triple top. So, you know, that is some reason for concern. I personally think that we'll break through this 2100 level and then a measured move would bring us to 2500. So we talked about a potential triple top, which is some cause for concern because we don't know the future. Um, And and so on a monthly chart, it looks like a potential triple top and that has people concerned. And yes, we have the potential headwind of, of a strengthening dollar. But really nothing is broken yet. I'm gonna go over to a point and figure chart. These are just different types. This is another version of the same type of chart I just showed. Um, This has a, a, it sometimes gives a cleaner picture and it compresses time. And you can see support and resistance zones a little bit better here. Um, You know, this is a previous chart top back here, close to 2100. But here is the 23 at the top of the screen shows the beginning of 2023. We had a breakout and then a turn down, and now we've, you know, our first quote-unquote sell signal. You know, it has us perked up a little bit to watch closer. But as I've said before, we've said before, there's really no cause for concern until we get down below the 1,900 level. So it, it so far, it's a healthy consolidation. um, But we really do believe it's longer-term bullish. We wouldn't be too worried yet. Uh, If you don't have a position or if you have a small position, these levels are a good place to accumulate. So all the way down to about 1900 is a good area, is good support down here. And um, long ago last year, we broke above what I thought was a key level of 1820. So overall, I, I would continue to believe in gold, even with the other arguments that you just mentioned. And There certainly are some arguments to be concerned, but we're not willing to play the in and out game with what we think is a core position, uh, particularly in a world that you can have a surprise in any number of ways, and particularly a surprise that causes people to lose confidence uh, confidence in the omnipotence of central banks. You wanna have that position in place um, because we could break out to the upside um, you know, anytime. All right. Really
1: well said, Mike. Thanks for walking us through those charts. I know you have to run off and see a client, um, so we'll, we'll we'll let you do so gracefully here. Uh, we're wrapping up anyways. John, I'm going to let you have the last word, um, any bits of parting counsel to today's uh, viewers who are you know, probably a bit worried about a lot of the stuff that, that uh, Michael Pento talked about in the interview, but scratching their heads on the current market strength.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Adam, I want you to just kind of give a nod. You you had put some stuff out on your Twitter, you know, talking about the sandwich generation and some of the the stresses that um, you know. I think we're all more or less in the sandwich generation. Yourself, Mike, and I, and you know, uh, kids and parents and being in that, and and we, you know, a lot of folks out there that it, it re- represents a big financial stress in their life, and. Um, you know this this speaks to kind of the kinds of conversations we have with clients that go well beyond investment right we're constantly having life financial planning decisions uh, uh with our clients about a whole m- manner of things it could be um business owners that are thinking about succession plans or uh unfortunately maybe some are having uh issues with you know the, the economy you know not being kind to their business or um you know, I'm I'm dealing personally with uh, 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 an aging my, my mother is aging and has has a degenerative disease and we've had to navigate some some tricky tricky elements of how to get care and and these are the kinds of things that we have lived as as individuals unfortunately, but we can parlay that into hopefully good sa- sound financial advice uh, for clients. So um you know all to say is that we're having a lot of conversations with folks that go beyond the nuts and bolts and the data that we use to, to invest uh, and drive investment uh, strategies. Uh, And it really gets back to, this is all about their life and and money's just one, obviously very important lever lever as to how, um, how stress-free or or not um, their life is. Um, So uh, we get to meet a lot of folks through uh uh your channel folks that that uh take you up on the invitation to reach out to us and many of them uh become clients but
1: others we're just happy to to help them out and impart hopefully some value um well, well oh, thanks and look I, I appreciate you uh you you mentioning the the part about the sandwich generation uh that that tweet I put out there really. So to tap to vein, uh, that there's clearly a lot of people that are just wrestling with the reality of the challenges, right? Uh it's there's there's no easy playbook and uh you know the world's gotten a lot harder uh in you know, folks doing this given the way that cost of living is skyrocketed, cost of elder care is skyrocketed, cost of college is skyrocketed. Uh it's really, really hard right now. Um and uh You know, the the mission behind Wealthy on very similar to yours is to help people fund their life goals. And one of people's most important life goals is I want to take care of my family, right? I want to take care of my elders. I want to take care of my my kids. Um, There's probably a lot more to talk about this. And so I don't want to give it undue short shrift in, in this conversation. So good that we've sort of put it on the table. Maybe next time you guys come on, we can delve a little bit more deeply. And to sort of how you help people think through the, the many decisions that come along when you're in that life stage. Um, folks, if you'd be interested in that, let us know in the comments section below. Um, all right, with that, and, and also your your generous point there about saying, look, you know, <clears throat> you'll help people who come clients, but you'll help people who don't either and just want to talk to you and you know get your general counsel on what they should be doing. Uh, that's a great reminder of why we encourage everybody, especially if you've been. Kind of shocked into attention by a lot of the issues that Michael put on the board there. Michael Pento put on the board there. Um, we highly encourage you to work with a really good professional financial advisor who can take all of this stuff into account, build a personalized plan for you, and then execute it for you by your side. Right? And like I said, most people have you know real life to contend with. They can't watch the markets all the time. They're, they're, they're not. They don't have the expertise, the interest, um, or the bandwidth. Uh, to to be doing that, you want to find a, a really solid professional who can do that for you. And as I've said, if you've got a great one who's already doing that, great, stick with them. But if you don't have one, and a lot of people have trouble finding a good one, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, maybe even John and Mike and the team there at New Harbor, well, then just go fill out the short form at Wealthion.com. Schedule a free consultation with these guys. Doesn't cost you anything. As John said, there's no commitment to work with them. It's just a public service that these firms offer to try to help people position prudently, especially now in advance of some of the potential shoes to drop that Michael Pento warned about. Um, All right, guys, uh, another great week doing this. Folks, if you enjoyed this discussion with Michael Pento and with the guys at New Harbor would like Michael Pento to come back on the program again as soon as we can get him. Please do me a favor, support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Again, John and Mike, guys, thanks so much for another great week. Look forward to talking to you guys next week.
3: Like usual, we enjoyed it. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you next week.
2: Have a great long uh, Memorial Day weekend, Adam. We're, we're going to take a rare three-day weekend because the markets are closed. And I uh, hope everybody has a, a great uh, uh, weekend remembering what it's about. And uh, let's uh,
1: bring on summer. Great. Well, well-deserved, guys. Enjoy the long weekend. Everyone else, thanks so much for watching. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth, and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with US citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-US clients. All right, with all that said, If you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor.
0: Thanks for watching.